Hallelujah. Lapeller handheld. Ooh. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. This is an answer to prayer. I've preached in 49 states. Vermont was the last one, and I, and, uh, I get to preach in Vermont today, so the Lord has answered my prayer. We're going to pray over the Word together. I'll just make a quick announcement. Uh, I want to preach a sermon called 21 Ways to Forgive, and I've prepared it in a little book. It's got 40 drawings. We'll show the drawings while I preach. If any of you want to teach it in some home group or... Uh, your church or wherever you ministry takes you, I give you all the artwork for free, and so that you could uh, use that artwork to teach it. And uh, we have an audio CD of it. We have a DVD of me teaching through it with the uh, artwork in- interspersed into the DVD. So lots of stuff available to help you go over it again until we can really live it. Because we're not blessed just by hearing the word; we're only blessed as we do the word. And uh, so let's stand to our feet and we'll pray over the message today. Thank you, dear Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love your whole plan of redemption. We love you. We appreciate your uh, everlasting heart of love and uh, marvel at your great goodness. Well, Lord, we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we want to be sweet in our spirits. We want to blend with the Holy Spirit and not just have an anointing somehow on the outside, but not have the character of the Holy Spirit. We want, we want to be merged into you, Lord, in a complete and total oneness. So bless your word and sanctify us. Wash away by your word, by your spirit, sadness, sorrow, self-pity, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, anything that would hinder the moving of your spirit in our lives we want out and uh, now we pray you'll surround us with a great guard of your faithful warrior angels so nothing can hinder and we pray you'll put your ministering angels which we so appreciate by each one of us to help us receive and retain your word that we might be doers of it holy spirit coach us in the day-to-day moment-by-moment application we vow to give you the glory we pray that There'll be a ripple effect around the world from what happens here. As you change us, Lord, then we <clears throat> want to be blessings and pray that our prayers and our service will bless multitudes of people around the world. Let's say his name together. Ready? In Jesus' name. Now, before you're seated, I'd like you to squeeze somebody by the hand and say, look, I know you're not perfect, but relax. I'm praying for you. Okay? <laughs> All right, Brother Sean, do you want to put that picture up there? No? There it is. All right, it's good. <clears throat> okay, God bless you. Let's go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to buckle your spiritual seat belts. We're going to blast off. I love the Word of God. You might wonder why I don't open the Bible when I preach this sermon. It's because the Word's all inside here, and I want to speak it rapidly. So, uh, Now, before we get good at forgiving other people, we've got to be sure that we have received forgiveness, and God has made a marvelous way for us to be forgiven for all of our sins. And one time I just prayed. I said, Lord, uh, I, I understand Jesus died for our sins, but how come he didn't have to die once for each person? How could one person die for billions of people? 
and have that be counted as fair. Well, the Lord reminded me that Jesus was God in hu- is God in human form. So uh, on the scale of justice, God could put all the sins of the world on one side of that scale, all the trillions and trillions of sins. But he just put the goodness of Jesus on the other side. Now, the Bible says in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Well, that's infinite goodness, all the fullness of deity. So no way to measure that. So it far outweighed all the sins of the human race. And so one great sacrificial death paid the sins for everybody if we will receive Christ. Now, uh, and that left infinite goodness left over after the sins were paid off. Infinite is still infinite. So that justified raising Jesus from the dead. That still left infinite goodness left over, which justifies pouring out the Holy Spirit on us and healing us and building mansions for us in heaven. And we'll never exhaust for all of eternity what was purchased for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Can you say a good amen to that? Well, now I want to tell you that uh, when you hear people talk about forgiveness, you'll hear almost everybody say, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Don't don't say amen. Don't nod your head. It would be a trick question. I want to tell you never to, never to talk about forgiving yourself. I think that's a total misnomer. I think the devil uses that to bring up uh, guilt and false guilt. You see, if you're forgiven by Almighty God, your debt is paid. Now, if you, can't, if you owed a, a $50 to somebody, now let's say you owed a, a million dollars, you couldn't borrow money from yourself to pay your debt. So you couldn't pay your debt. The Bible says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So somebody else forgave your sin. Somebody else paid the price. And then it's gone. So if it's gone and the devil says, now you need to forgive yourself, he's trying to bring up what was already forgiven and what is gone. So what you need to do is celebrate your forgiveness in Christ. Forget about forgiving yourself. Jesus did that. You just need to celebrate it. Now let's lift our hands and thank God that when you're forgiven, you ask forgiveness for sin, you're sincere. Guess what? It's removed. It can't be found anymore. It's disappeared. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus did. Let's shout a little bit that we're forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. So next time the devil says you need to forgive yourself, say, shut up. My debt's already paid. I don't have to pay that debt. It's paid. Hallelujah. And I'm forgiven. All right. Now, now we want to give you some, uh, uh, you know, remind you that construction's a big word, right? If you talk about constructing a house, you'd have to use more than one tool. You couldn't build a house with just a hammer. And in the same way, forgiveness is a big tool chest. <laughs> it's a big thing. There's all kinds of tools and techniques of forgiveness, and I want to give you some today. Now, Uh, I'm going to give you nine reasons we must forgive. And this might be contrary to certain areas in the body of Christ where uh, they feel that you could never, ever lose your salvation. So I don't want to make anybody mad. But my greatest reason to forgive is so I don't go to hell, (laughs) just very simply. (laughs) And Jesus said, if you don't forgive, uh, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. So I don't know how you could go to heaven if you weren't forgiven. So I tell people, nobody's worth going to hell over. Amen? Nobody's worth, nobody's worth that. All right, now the next reason to forgive is so the devil doesn't get a foothold. And it doesn't take him very long. 
Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not get, let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give the devil a foothold or a legal place to stand and exercise authority. Well, it doesn't take very long. If, the, if, if he could establish a foothold by the time the sun goes down, then just an afternoon spent in rage and wrath and uh, hatred, you see, is enough. Well, I don't want... I don't want him to get a foothold in my life. Now, the devil can only rule over unforgiven people. So Paul said we have forgiven because we're not unaware of his schemes, of the devil's schemes. Well, he'll scheme to get you to sin in all kinds of ways, but I believe probably his favorite way, his favorite scheme is to get you not to forgive somebody. Because then he can brand you unforgiven, and then he can rule over your life. And then we forgive so that our faith will work. Now, the Lord taught me when I was a young man, I did have hair once upon a time. <laughs> and back in those days, he taught me, if you get rid of your internal problems, I'll, turn your, I'll help you turn your external problems into blessings and miracles. But if you don't get rid of your internal problems, then your external problems will pound you to pieces. And that's when he taught me, you know, really value a sweet spirit. Always be asking me to help you to keep your spirit sweet. Don't put up with, you know, internal problems. Well... Where Jesus said you could command the mountain to remove and be cast into the sea, and if you don't doubt in your heart and believe what you say will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. The next verse, Mark 11:25. And when you stand praying, if you have ought against any, forgive him. See, faith and forgiveness are vitally linked together. Because you're, you can't move a mountain. It'll move the wrong way. Now, this guy's telling the mountain to move, but it moves over on top of him, see? And so if you say, I'm a big man of faith, but yet you're, you're, bitter, you're bitter and you're unforgiving then the external problems you command to move, they'll move, but they'll move the wrong direction. <laughs> they'll move over on top of you. So we forgive so that our faith will work. Now the next reason we forgive is so we don't spread bitterness to somebody. The Bible says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And you teach your little kids and grandchildren, honey, cover your mouth when you cough. Cover your mouth, honey. Cover your mouth. Don't cough on my food. I don't want your germs. Well, when you get bitter, you can spread spiritual germs. And so if you are bitter, cover your mouth. Please don't speak it to anybody else. They might take it up an offense on your behalf, and you might get over it, but they might not. That would be terrible. I heard of a couple that talked bad about the pastor after every meal, the new pastor. But they eventually got to like him. The kids dropped out of church and have never, ever come back. See, they coughed spiritual germ. Now, the next reason we forgive is very, very important. We don't want to be buried in negative emotions memorial garden. A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but resentment kills a fool. I'm quoting different Bible verses there. Negative emotions tear up your body. They tear up your health. They promote all kinds of Terrible things. One of the, the greatest health principle of all is to have a, a heart at peace where you don't hate anybody. You're not bitter. You're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're not judging anybody. You're not living in anger. You're walking in peace and joy and love. Now, I was uh, sitting next to a young man who was a bodybuilder and a health food nut, and I was about ready to speak at a men's breakfast, but he, while we were eating, he was telling me his health routine, all the prebiotics, probiotics, every kind of biotic there is he was taking... And he was lifting weights and he was doing all this stuff. And I said, well, 
that's great. I said, I take fish oil and I take some vitamins and I try to walk and exercise. I said, but my greatest health principle is that I make sure that I don't hate anybody, that I don't feel sorry for myself, that I'm not judging anybody, and that I just uh, have a sweet, uh, peaceful spirit. He got really quiet, see, because he hated his dad. And so here's what I told him. I said, uh, now the people that were eating manna that fell out of the sky, and it had every prebiotic, probiotic, enzyme, vitamin, mineral, trace mineral, you name it. The manna was the food of angels, the grain of heaven. And yet all the people were dying prematurely except for just a very handful of people. So they're eating the best health food and dying by the time they're 60. Why was that? Because they're full of negative emotions. Hmm. So, I hope you'll eat manna. I mean, I hope you'll eat the best health food. Take vitamins. You do everything you can for your health. But the supreme health principle is to walk in love. Amen? And uh, have a heart at peace. All right, now your glory. Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as you are one. So the glorious intimacy Jesus has with the Father, he wants you to have. And that's your glory. Why would you want to rip up your glory and go off into a pout, amen, <laughs> and, uh, and into bitterness and anger? No, let's keep our glory. Now the Bible says Herodias nursed a grudge. What would it look like to nurse a grudge? When a grudge starts off uh, small, it's almost cute. Amen. The little Tyrannosaurus Rex is almost cute in the high chair there. Amen. But how many of you know if you nurse a grudge, it'll get big. It'll turn into a big grudge. And that's when people kill people. Now, you say, I would never kill anybody. Oh, you're all capable of killing people. Me too. Because we can kill with our words. Amen. Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I say, do not be angry with your brother. He says, if you say, you fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. I mean, you can slaughter people with your tongue. And so, before we get to where the grudge is great big, get rid of the grudge altogether and forgive. Now, the next reason we forgive is so we can be a success in life. If you don't have peace of mind, if you don't have peace of heart, no matter how many possessions you have, how famous you are, or what you claim to achieve, you can't be a success. It's impossible. Now, I want to give you three ways to forgive. The first three ways will make it so you don't have to forgive most of the time. And so the Bible says a wise man's uh, wisdom gives him patience it's his glory to overlook an offense. Everybody say, overlook. See, now, if you overlook an offense, you don't have to forgive it. You don't have to wait three days and say, okay, God, I forgive that idiot. <laughs> you just overlook it and say, well, he probably didn't have breakfast or somebody's, somebody's kicking his cat, you know. <laughs> Something, something's wrong there. But I'll just overlook it. No, no reason to get offended. And so... If the Holy Spirit would say, honey, now, if a burning ember of a forest fire flies into an open can of water, what will happen to the burning ember? Oh, you say, Holy Spirit, let us go out. Yes, that's right. Now, he'll say, but what if it flies into an open can of gasoline? Oh, you say, Holy Spirit, it will explode. That's right, honey. Now, a burning ember of offense flew into you and you exploded in anger. What does that mean? Holy Spirit, that means I was full of gas. Now, how many of you are used to saying, she makes me so mad, he makes me so mad, they make me so mad? What are you testifying? You're testifying you're full of gasoline instead of living water. 
You see, because if you're full of living water, so next time you start saying, she makes me so mad, you say, oh, dear Holy Spirit, fill me with living water. I, I got to let these offenses just go out. Amen? So we ask for wisdom, we ask for patience, we ask for God's character, and we just overlook things. I heard of a university where they found a banana peel in a tree, and they had to have student counseling. It was almost a riot because they thought it was a racial offense because somebody left a banana peel in a tree. Now, America is just ready to explode. How many of you know? It's, uh, it's, got, it's got to the point where the, the doctrine in America is don't ever let an offense go by without exploding. You've got to explode at every offense. Well, we're the salt. We're the light. We don't do that. We don't do offense. We have to be hard to offend. God is slow to anger. All right, the next way. Starting a dispute is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Everybody say, drop it. Just drop it. See, if you just drop it, you don't have to forgive it. Because, you see, if you breach the dam, he's going to blow up the dam, but then he's going to be drowned as the water comes down. And that's the way it is in road rage. You might, you know, you might end up being shot by somebody. Amen? So drop it before a dispute breaks out. I live next to a, a version of Walmart, Oregon-owned business called Bymart. I went over to buy some light bulbs one night, and they only had one box left, and one of the four bulbs was broken, so I figured a 25% discount would be appropriate. The clerk says, I can't give you a discount. It takes a manager to do that. I said, well, call your manager. He comes over, and I say, uh, one of the four is broken. You have no other boxes. I really need these tonight. Could you give me a 25% discount? He said, sell it to him for $4. And he turns around and walks off, and I'm thinking, I think he's raising the price on me. So I just quickly did the math. It should have been three eighty-eight. <laughs> I said, he didn't do the math, but I did. It should be three eighty-eight. She said, I can't change the price. It takes a manager to do that. I said, we'll call your manager. Now, when he comes back, I said, I did the math on this. It should be 388. He said, we'll just keep it then, and turned around and walked off. And I thought, I'm not worth 12 cents to buy Mart. I spend a lot of money here. They don't even think I'm worth 12 cents. See if I ever buy milk here again. I'll drive by this stupid Buy Mart store. I'll go down to Dairy Mart. I'll get my milk there. That's what I'll do. I'll find out who that guy is. I'm going to write him up on the Internet. I'm going to call the managers of top guys in Buy Mart. I'm going to get him fired. That's what I'm going to do. I'm ready to go to war over 12 cents. And then all of a sudden, you know, pretty soon I start thinking, you know, it might be good if I practiced what I preach. <laughs> so I dropped it. Now I go in there, and I finally realized, the Holy Spirit helped me realize, that guy doesn't know how to do math. He didn't know how to get 25 cents, so he just approximated it. So I just dropped the matter, and I smile, and I buy milk at Buy Mart. I don't have to, die, don't have to drive to Dairy Mart. All right, everybody say drop it. Just drop it. Okay, overlook it, drop it. You don't have to forgive, right? I don't have to forgive that guy because I dropped it. Now, Paul said when we're cursed, we bless. And when we're slandered, we answer kindly. Peter said don't render insult for insult, but rather with a blessing for this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Writer of Hebrews says without a doubt or without a question, the one who gives the blessing is greater than the one who receives it. So if someone curses you and you say, well, God bless you, God bless you, sir. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Their curse will stick in your shield of blessing. 
you will show that you're the greater person because you blessed them, but then you don't have to forgive them. Amen? When we're cursed, we bless. He didn't say when we're cursed, we forgive. No. If you bless, you don't have to forgive because you didn't get mad in the first place. Now, how many think we need to practice those first three a lot more than we do? See? I believe it's easy for God to give us power and, oh, how I want God to empower the church. I'm, I'm meditating a lot on that God is worthy of power. But God takes a huge risk, and we take a huge risk if we get power when we don't have character. All right, so we really, really want to uh, have a sweet spirit. Now, the next way is to forgive as God forgave you. So Paul wrote in Colossians 3, Bear with one another in love. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And when God forgives, he forgets about it. So if you forgive as the Lord forgives, then you won't have a slime bag of the past that you can reach in. See, what people do is they say they forgive somebody, but then they keep a record of wrongs. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Most people do. And then when the guy does the wrong thing again, they reach into the past and not only remind him what he did wrong now, but what he did 20 years ago. And what that does is it ruins today. Now, this is a beautiful picture there, and the lady is ruining the picture by rubbing the slime of the past on it. Looks like Oregon, where I live. We live in the Cascade Mountain Range there. And so we have these beautiful volcanoes, you know, when they're snow-covered, and uh, as long as they don't blow up. But you see, you'll ruin today if you rub the slime of the past on it. So uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that a lady goes into the bath. She's been married to her husband, Harry, for 25 years, and she goes into the bathroom, and he slopped water all over the mirror. That really bugs her. And he left the cap off the toothpaste, and he left the lid up on the toilet. Now, man, she is fried. So she comes out, Harry, I was just in the bathroom. You made a mess again. You must have a part pig gene in you. You know, something's wrong with you. You can't seem to learn anything. Maybe you've got Alzheimer's disease. I've been trying to teach you for 20 years how to clean up your mess. You just don't care anything for me. You did all three things that bugged me so much. What's wrong with you? Just day after day, week after week, you did. And she's just rubbing the slime of the past all over today now. Harry's going to say, oh, he'll go in there and he'll fix the mirror, put the lid down, put the cap on, but then he's going to get in his truck and be gone for three days. Amen? He's got to get out of there. Let's give you a different scenario. Let's say she goes in there and she comes out and she says, Harry, I was just in the bathroom. I see you forgot to do your little cleanup routine we've been working on. She just deals with the day. Oh, sweetheart, I'll go in there and check that out. Now he goes in there and he just cleans that mirror. He puts the cap on, puts the lid down. He comes out smiling. I got it all fixed just like you like, baby. Oh, she says, Harry, you're such a sweetheart. Mm. <laughs> now, see, she didn't use the slime of today. Or she didn't use the slime of the past. All right? Now, here's something else about the slime of the past. It's explosive. And when the fire of the tongue hits the slime of the past, you can blow up all your tomorrows. Not just ruin your today. Every one of you are going to be tempted, including all of us that have been in the ministry for a long time. We're going to be tempted to reach into the past when we want to make a point. It is a devilish thing to do. And it can explode everything. It's sticky, too. <laughs> like the tar. When you reach in there, you're going to get stuck in the past. 
All right, everybody say forgive us. The Lord forgave you. Got to get rid of that uh, record of wrongs. Now, don't feed hostility with, uh, don't feed bitterness with verbal hostility. So here this lady says uh, to the thistle, you are horrible, bad, mean, selfish, ugly, and stupid. And that fertilizes that thistle and it gets great big and threatens her. And then she runs away saying, I thought my words would cut it down. How many have ever tried to cut down somebody? And hostility and bitterness grows when you try to cut people down. Now, one time I was going to tell my wife how bad she was and I don't know what we were fighting about, but I was going to really go in there and blast her, you know. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of me first. And he said, now if you can convince her how bad she is, then she'll be looking down at herself thinking how bad she is and she won't be able to look up and see how good you are. I said, which would you rather? I said, well, I'd rather have her look up and see how good I am. And he said, well, don't defeat yourself. Amen? Take an extreme example of when the woman... Uh, was caught in adultery and and, uh, people wanted to throw stones at her, but uh, Jesus said he was without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all left under conviction. Jesus was left alone. He said, woman, does no one condemn you? No one, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He must have smiled. And when she left, she wasn't looking down thinking, I'm so bad. She was looking up thinking, he's so good. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right? So let's not, let's not pour super grow on thistles. Sometimes you just forgive as an act of your will, and it's the quickest way to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm just going to forgive that. This and, the, and you just do it like you're stamping a canceled debt. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you need a different tool, but it's the quickest. Now, when something is huge, you ask the Father to forgive it. If it's small to medium, you forgive it. If it's just huge, you ask God to give it. I'll give you three examples. On the cross, Jesus, Jesus is often heard to say, your sins are forgiven, but not on the cross. So the man let down through the roof. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. The woman washing his feet, your sins are forgiven. But when they were crucifying him, he looked out and he didn't say, hey, everybody, your sins are forgiven. It was too big. It was the greatest injustice in the history of the world. And so he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he didn't say, all right, you guys, I want you to know I forgive you. No, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When Moses found out the people of Israel had made a golden calf after God had literally spoken audibly to them not to make idols, and the mountain was burning with his fiery presence, and still they made a golden calf, He said, Dear God, forgive the sins of these people, but if not, blot my name out of your book. He didn't say, I forgive you people. See, those were huge things. And so if it's small to medium, you you forgive it. If it's a huge injustice, you go into intercession. You ask the Father to forgive it. Now, when I was 21, I was directing a choir practice on a Saturday morning up here on a platform, and a deacon came in with a drunk man, knelt at the altar and began to loudly pray and interrupt the choir practice. I had prayed with that drunk man two hours on one day, two hours on another day that same week. He'd get drunk and then he'd want to come in and pray. And uh, I knew that uh, it was going to be a long prayer meeting. So I knelt down by the deacon and I whispered, would you please take this man in another room and pray with him there as long as you like? 
the deacon was jealous of me because I had come to the church and got on staff where he'd been there for longer than that and uh, was not on staff. So he jumped to his feet and he yelled in front of the choir, How can you call yourself a man of God and turn a lost sinner away from God's holy altar? And he acted like he wanted a fist fight. And I just kind of smiled at him and didn't say anything. So he turned around and stomped off with the drunk. And I smoothed everything down. I looked pretty spiritual. But when he went through the door, in my heart I said, You big turkey, you. And nobody heard that. The next day he was on that side of the church. I was on this side. I thought he'd come running up to me and apologize. But he did not. I judged him again. In my heart I said, He's a bigger turkey than I thought he was. God began to convict me. I said, what are you convicting me for? Don't you remember that Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him? He hasn't repented. That's why I haven't forgiven him. As soon as I said that, God spoke these very words to me. You're just like a man that went down to the beach and a seagull flew over his head and had a bowel movement that landed right on his nose. He looked at the bird as it flew away and said, you dirty bird, you. I'm going to leave this right here on my face until you come back and wipe it off. God spoke that. And I was stunned. And after I thought about it for a minute, I just thought how stupid that would be. The bird isn't coming back. Then God said, bitterness is showing on your face. You can't hide it. I said, well, how do I get it off? He said, forgive him before he asks. I did with all my heart, and I never told him that. That would have ruined it if I had went up and said, you were a big idiot, but I want you to know I forgave you. No. Instead, there was no bitterness, so I acted like nothing had happened, and I was so friendly to him, he started bringing me homemade granola and deer venison as presents. And so I started forgiving people. I never wanted to be caught with bird stuff on my nose. That's So I went eight years forgiving people, but I didn't have that many to forgive until I became a lead pastor. And then birds flew over in herds. I forgive him, 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 I forgive him. I kept on forgiving everybody. But one day God sent a prophetic lady to me and she said, you're holding on to something in one of your hands and you can only work for God with one hand and he wants you to let go of what you're holding on to so you can work with two hands and he'll tell you what you're holding on to. So when I prayed about that, he said, yes, it's true. It's what you wiped off your nose. So I was forgiving but not forgetting and I was reviewing the mean things people did to me and I'd say, look what that man did to me, but I forgave him. Look what that lady did to me, but I forgave her. Look what they did to me, but I forgave that big group of people. Look what this guy did, but I forgave... Oh God, I'd say, has any pastor ever been so mistreated in the history of the world? So it wasn't bitterness on my nose, it was self-pity in my hand. It's like holding on to the bird stuff in your hand. So self-pity is like that. So when you forgive, you've got to forget about it. Now, I'd like you just to think of someone you need to forgive, and I'm going to have you pass your hand over your nose as if you're wiping off the bird stuff. Uh, let's not wait till they come and ask forgiveness. You don't want to be wearing that around. It'll affect everything you look at and affect the way everybody sees you. You can't hide it. It shows. Close your eyes. Take your left hand. Now, think of somebody you're going to forgive right now even though they're not there. They're not asking. Mark 11:25. And when you stand praying, if you have ought against any, forgive him. We're going to do that right now. Pass your hand over your nose and say out loud, I forgive that person. Big and loud. I forgive that person. Take your right hand now. There's another person you need to forgive. Ready? And uh, wipe that off and say out loud, I forgive that person too. 
I forgive that person too. Now let's dust our hands together. Hallelujah. Let's say, I'm going to forget about it. Hallelujah. Now let's lift up holy hands without anger and disputing. Let's lift our hands up and praise God. See, the Bible says I want people everywhere to lift holy hands without anger and disputing. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's praise Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so, what a great, what a great way to live forgiving quickly. Amen? All right. Now, you've got to learn to feel sorry for the person that does you wrong instead of feeling sorry for yourself. The immature Christian feels sorry for themselves. Paul said, the Jewish people that rejected Jesus, they whipped me 195 times, lashes. They beat me with rods three times and once they stoned me. He could have said, poor me, I'm covered with scars from head to toe, front to back. Instead, he, feels, he said, I feel so sorry for them. I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for their sake. I feel so sorry for them. Now, Paul had moved from being a victim to being more than a conqueror because instead of feeling sorry for himself, he had compassion. He knew that he was going to be healed and blessed and go to heaven, but they probably would go to hell, and he felt so sorry for them. I wrote a poem at a stop sign before the light turned green. At this red light, I wrote this poem. I've been slowly dying of sorry for me. It hurts really bad, but I want to be free. The Bible I love and know to be true says I'll soon feel much better feeling sorry for you. <laughs> Amen? You'll soon feel much better if you feel sorry for them. All right? Now, my favorite way is to invest my pain in the bank of heaven. When Stephen was being stoned, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. So he asked the Father to forgive it, but the Lord showed me that he, in fact, invested his pain in the bank of heaven. And because he asked God to forgive them, he gave God the legal right to strike the guiltiest person there with a bolt of mercy instead of a bolt of justice. Because I was going through a huge church split and it lasted seven months and it was a huge slander attack. It was a horrible time of life. And I was beginning to think that I should ask God to kill a few people. Just gzz, 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 gzz. I thought that would pretty much vindicate me, you know, and fix everything. Got to just strike a few people. I thought they were worthy to be struck. But what the Lord was teaching me is this. Yes, if I strike them with justice, you'll get a puddle of grease or, you know, blood on the carpet. You'll get a little, right? That's all you'd have. If I strike them with mercy, you might get an apostle out of the deal. And uh, then he'd ask me, what would you rather have, a grease spot or an apostle? Well, I said, Lord, if you could use my sin as a legal justification, these people really need to be struck. I said, but if you could use my, my pain as a legal justification to, to strike them with mercy, I'd really rather have you strike them with mercy and turn them into something beautiful. God has done wonderful, wonderful things. There's been wonderful reconciliation. But, so this remains one of my favorite ways. If somebody's really hurting me, I say, Lord, you and I both know they deserve to be struck. If you strike them with justice, you don't get anything out of it. I don't get anything out of it. So, Lord, I want to give you all my pain and give you a legal right. And I ask you to forgive them. 
and strike them with mercy. Now let's again close your eyes. Somebody's caused you more pain than anybody in your entire life. I'd like you to take your hand, a left or right, I don't care which, but uh, act as if you're putting a little package up in a bank deposit box and lift it up and put it in the bank of heaven. And in your heart, I want you to just tell God, Lord, I, I, I know they need to be struck. But if you strike them with justice, neither you nor I will get anything good out of the deal. I'd rather you strike them with mercy. And Here's my pain. Hallelujah. Now lift your other hand up. Let's begin to worship God. Let's worship Him. God's not going to waste your pain. The Bible says He holds your tears in, in, a, in a... He keeps a record of every tear and He keeps them in a bottle. In other words, God is saying, I'll never waste your pain. I'll invest your pain. Let's praise Him. Come on, lift your hands up and worship God. Hallelujah. He feels what you feel. It's as if they did it to Him. But He'll never waste your pain. He'll invest it and give you divine return. This is why the Muslim people are having so many visions of Jesus. Why? Because they viciously persecute Christians and then the Christians say, oh God, forgive them and they put their pain in the bank of heaven. That gives God a legal right. You see, Saul of Tarsus was, was breathing slaughter after Stephen was stoned. The guiltiest one there, the Sanhedrin member that had organized the whole stoning and didn't throw the stones but kept the coats in his sanctimonious uh, holier-than-thou attitude. He wasn't a little boy. He was the one that went out breathing slaughter. He was the epicenter of the, uh, of the wave of persecution. And so on the road to Damascus, this bright light strikes him to the ground. God could have just fried him like a piece of bacon, but it was a strike of mercy. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard on you. Merciful. And changed him into an apostle. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord again just for a moment. You're letting that sink in. God won't waste your pain. You can invest your pain. You can give God a legal right to strike people with mercy and change them into beautiful things. And that's why it's happened to the Muslims when Christians ask God to forgive them, then he strikes them with mercy and turns them into the most beautiful, beautiful soul winners. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, someone said the Church spreads through the blood of the martyrs. I don't actually believe that. I believe it spreads through the forgiveness of the martyrs. I believe it's the prayers of the martyrs when they invest their pain in the bank of heaven and their forgiving attitude that allows God to strike their persecutors with mercy and turn uh, many great sinners into apostles. Thank you, Lord. All right, now, when, you're, when you've been victimized in some way, you, you might relate to this picture. This is what sadness looks like. Sadness looks like, I'm so sad, look what they did to me. I'm so sad, look what they did to me. And that just is out in front of your face like a dark cloud. It, it uh, affects every moment of your life when you live in the cistern of sadness. But nobody, nobody can get you out. Nobody, no psychologist, no preacher. You have to crawl out, and the way you do that is to say, well, that was just the devil and I can't expect the devil to be good. So you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, right? Your enemy's the devil, and he manipulates like a puppeteer, manipulating people to do his evil will against you. So it's the devil that's your enemy, and he's not going to change. Now, the next thing you say, I'm still alive. I can counterattack the devil. All right, you're starting to climb out. 
Now, counterattack the devil the right way. Never shout at the devil. Don't scream at the devil. And I tell people, don't try to bind uh, the, the spirits in the heavenlies because those are left for Jesus to deal with. He said, what you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I'll loose in the heavens. When you reverse that and you try to bind things in heaven to bring loosing on earth, you're doing unscriptural binding. It literally summons demons down upon people. And I don't have time to tell you how I learned that the hard way. But I learned it. Been there wrecked that. All right. So when you say, I'll counterattack the devil, do it like this. I'll do it by helping people. Who can I help? Now, the, my website is encouragementexpert.com. And I encourage you all to be an encouragement expert. On the website, it says, who can I love, who can I serve, who can I bless, who can I encourage? And that needs to be the focus of our life, see? Because if your focus is, look what they did to me, you're going to stay in sadness. If your focus is, who can I love, who can I serve, who can I bless, who can I encourage, then you get to this. And pretty soon you look back, and instead of saying, I'm so sad, look what they did to me, you say, I'm so happy. <laughs> look what God used me to do for people. So the year after that church split, I became an evangelist after that big church split, and I had 200 people baptized in the Holy Spirit in one year in my ministry, and that was more than the 15 years that I had pastored. And so I looked back, and I, instead of saying, I'm so sad, look what they did to me, I just said, I'm so happy. Look what God used me to do for people. Now, I want to stay out of sadness. We can easily slip back in. So... Our whole attitude of life should be, who can I love? Who can I serve? Who can I bless? And that makes you feel better. You don't have to wait till you feel better to go help somebody. Go help somebody and feel better. Now, sometimes you have to use a special tool to help people. You'll hear people say, I just can't forgive. I just can't forgive. And God taught me what to do in those situations. Having learned this tool, I was in a church service, and the pastor said, would you pray for this couple? They're having terrible problems in their marriage. So they stood there while everybody else walked out of the church. The man was trying to put his arm around his wife, but she was leaning away from him, and she was crying. And he looked sort of green with sickness, you know, looks like he was miserable. And I just walked up quietly, and I got right to the point. I said, has there been adultery? He said, yes, I committed adultery. And the wife said, and I just can't forgive him. I said, sir, have you broken it off completely? Yes, he said, I've broken it off completely. I said, do you want to save your marriage? He said, oh, I really do. And she said, but I just can't forgive him. So I knew what to do. So I said, ma'am, I want to ask you a question. I'll be totally sincere. Do you want your husband to burn forever in hell because of what he did to you? And she said, well, no. <laughs> no, I don't want him to burn forever in hell because of what he did to me. I said, would you tell that to God right now in all sincerity? Please do. Oh, God, she said, I don't want him to burn forever in hell because of what he did to me. Now, twice she said she couldn't forgive him, but twice she just did. Because when you say, I don't want him to burn forever in hell, it's a baby form of forgiveness. It's a wedge that starts breaking it all down. It's the beginning and as soon as she cried out to God that way, I said, I'm going to pray for your marriage to be healed. Put my hand on her shoulder, began to earnestly pray. Within seconds, her head was over on his chest. She was receiving his love. So if you minister, you know, more and more Americans are really, really oppressed of the devil. And you get them in your churches. 
and uh, a lot of them need deliverance. And they, they, they can have gone through so many offenses, you want to keep this tool handy because occasionally you'll, you'll need to use it with someone. All right, now, is it stupid to forgive? The devil's going to tell you, it's so stupid if you let that go, if you forgive that, you're just stupid. And so this Pharisee was judging Jesus as the woman washed his feet. And he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Two men owed a guy money. One owed him $500 and one owed him $50. But he forgave both. Which one will love him more? Well, he says, I suppose the one that was forgiven the greater debt. Jesus said, you're right. Now, when I came in here, you didn't kiss me on the forehead, uh, uh, kiss me on the cheek, as is the custom, but uh, this woman has been kissing my feet. And you didn't give me oil on my forehead, as is the customary greeting. Uh, she's been pouring perfume on my feet. You didn't give me a pan of water to rinse the sand off from between my toes, but she's been washing my feet with her tears. The reason is I've forgiven her for a lot more than I've forgiven you, now she loves me a lot more than you do. And so the people you forgive may end up loving you more than anybody else. So it's not stupid to forgive. I can't guarantee it. I don't suppose it happens in every case, but uh, it's not stupid to forgive. Amen? It's smart. They very likely could be the people that end up loving you more than anybody else. How would you forgive someone who killed your very own children? And unfortunately, we do find people whose drunk driver killed somebody or a sexual pervert, pervert killed somebody or in the foreign countries, uh, religious uh, zealots might kill the children of Christians. How could you forgive something like that? When I prayed about that, the Holy Spirit, I prayed, uh, how did you forgive Saul? Because he testified, I persecuted them to the death. It wasn't just Stephen. He went away and he, he killed other Christians. And I said, how could you forgive him for that? And the Lord let me know that he saw what he could become and saw that if he was forgiven, he would bear God millions of spiritual children. Amen? So the technique here is to say, Lord, you know what they can become. Right now, if I look at them, they're absolutely wretched. You see what you could do with them, what they could become. Amen? And then you're asking God to forgive them. You're forgiving them. And uh, you can overcome that terrible bitterness. All right. Learn to see them as the captive or victim of Satan. So when Jesus had the revelation that Peter was going to deny him, I think he must have had a vision of that. And uh, he could have said, Simon, Simon. I just saw a vision. I saw that you're going to deny that you even know me. You're going to deny me three times and with an oath. I can't believe you're going to do that. You're supposed to be my best friend. I am so hurt. I'm so offended. I'm just destroyed by that. How could you be such a jerk? How many of you know Jesus didn't come anywhere near that? His whole concern was for Simon. He saw Simon as the victim. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, what a difference it makes when you see them as the victim, not yourself. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now, Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, and he has you in mind first, them in mind second. When you pray, a pressure cooker, you see, what? You have to have a relief valve, a pressure relief valve, or the thing will blow up like a bomb. 
Now, in Bible college, two dorm mates were making homemade root beer in a pressure cooker, and the relief valve stuck shut. And uh, they tried to get the lid off and broke the handles off, and then they knew it was going to explode. We heard their feet pitter-patter, pitter-patter, running out the door. We heard the door slam. Then we heard this huge explosion. Ran down. The curtains were blown off. The lid had gone through the ceiling. (laughs) The kitchen was covered in root beer. (laughs) And the Lord brings that back to me and said, Now, when I say pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies, it's, it's a positive way to let off negative emotions. Amen? And then you don't die of a stroke or a heart attack, uh, you know, because these emotions are trying to kill you. Amen? So the first person that gets blessed is you when you pray. Now, who's bugging you the most? Who's causing you the most trouble? That's your prayer assignment. Amen? <laughs> you begin to pray for them. Guess what? Oh, it starts to let off that terrible pressure inside. It lets it off in a positive way. Now, the feast of forgiveness. How many of you know plain spaghetti is not that tasty? But when you put uh, sauce on it, it's a lot better. If you add meatballs, it's a lot better. And then if you put Parmesan cheese on top, you've got an Italian feast. All right? Let's go back. When you forgive, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said to love your enemies. That would mean forgive them and love them. But then he said to bless them, pray for them, and do good to them. So after becoming an evangelist, after the church split, I kept praying for this deacon and every day God would bring him to my mind. Now months went by and some, one day I said, I've forgiven him. Every day you bring him to my mind. I forgive him, pray for him and bless him. What more do you want me to do, Lord? It's water under the bridge. It's been a long time ago. And when I said, what more do you want me to do? He spoke to me and said, do good to him. <clears throat> See, I was, I was only doing three of the four. So I helped him get a $6,000 grant for his summer ministry in Honduras. I was on the board of a Christian foundation and I sent him a grant application and I said, I think I can get you $6,000. Well, that opened up an amazing reconciliation. He invited me to his ministry banquet and then after the, and there were 40 people that had left the church in fierce anger and we got along great and he got the grant and then he invited, he had a party, a farewell party for us before we moved away and he invited everybody that had ever left the church. And uh, a big majority of them came, and uh, four board members out of seven had resigned in anger. All four of them testified what a great pastor I'd been. <laughs> Hugged me. I mean, uh, you see, it was a Joseph miracle. I mean, you know, Joseph's brothers hated him, threw him in a pit. But later, God gave him reconciliation with his brothers. Amen? And uh, so the, the big feast of forgiveness came when I did that fourth thing. So I want to tell you now, let the Holy Spirit coach you, but try to do all four. Amen? You forgive them, which would mean you love them, and then you bless them, and you pray for them. If you can do something physically good, you ask the Holy Spirit, what could I do good for them? And he'll coach you, and you'll uh, uh, have a feast of forgiveness. I only used this technique one time, but I was the most offended that I've ever been. I felt like I could bite a spike in half. I was so angry. And God said, can you forgive that person for their sake? And I said, no. He said, could you forgive her? that person for my sake. I could visualize, I didn't see a vision, but in my mind I knew Jesus was standing on the cross between that person and hell as a roadblock to keep them going from hell. How could I condemn that person with the devil when Jesus was sacrificing his life to save them? And so I said, well, for your sake, okay. And you know what? That great offense, I just forgave it. It was just gone. And I've had a, a relationship for the next 30 years with that person, a very dear and 
wonderful relationship, and I never let them know how much they hurt me, Melissa did. They never knew. They don't know now. I've never had to use it anywhere else. <laughs> but uh, Jesus has thrown a roadblock to keep people from going to hell. If, if you having trouble forgiving, forgive for his sake. Now, learn to claim people as your very own. When I preached my second sermon the, uh, of my life, the anointing came on me about one-third of the way through, and I really preached. And the next day, my wife said, Brother so-and-so doesn't like you. He thought you were showing off. So I spoke right out loud. Well, if he doesn't like me, I don't like him. God spoke to me. You'd love him if he rode your bus. Now, I picked up a lot of little bratty bus kids, see, little snotty kids, you know. And, uh, oh, I worked hard to get my bus full of these little rascals. And when they rode my bus, I loved them. And I knew if he rode my bus, I'd love him. But if he drove his car, I didn't care what happened to him. Amen? But if he was my bus kid, see, and that's when Jesus said, uh, Jesus prayed, Father, all thine are mine. And he taught me then, I want you to feel the same way Jesus does, that he's yours. It's like the bus kids are yours. And my wife holds the record on this. She had two hyperactive four-year-old boys, red hair, identical twins. <laughs> Hyperactive, red-haired, identical twins, Donnie and Ronnie. Oh, these kids were out of control. they just destroy the church. And, and uh, she'd bring them in on the bus and everybody, battle stations. <laughs> and then one day a, a deacon was chasing one of these little boys down the hall and he ran into the church office and he ran around and around a table and then he dived under the table and bit the deacon in the leg. And he called him a six-letter curse word at the same time. So then the pastor and the board and the children's pastor said, you tell your wife, you can't bring Donnie and Ronnie anymore. I was the messenger. So when I told her that, she burst into tears. You can't do that. They're my kids. You don't understand how rough their home is. I said, well, you've got to do something. From then, she got off the bus holding on to each one by the hand. And she'd put one in the three-year-old room and take one in the four-year-old room. She'd sit with him to get him quiet. Then she'd go back and help get the other one quiet. And she quit playing the piano. She spent all Sunday school and morning church service riding herd on Donnie and Ronnie. Did that for six months, and their mother came and got saved. Then they moved away, but they moved away with a saved mother. Yeah, hallelujah. So, uh, EGR people, do you know what those are? Extra grace required. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? Uh, people aren't perfect, and there can be all kinds of goofy people, but uh, Jesus wants them for his very own. Let's lift our hands up and tell the Lord we'd allow him to give us that kind of love, to say, well, Father, all thine are mine. Let's say it. Father, all thine are mine. That's what a beautiful attitude. Now, I'm just about near the end. You've got to be careful on this one. Sometimes... We lay stumbling blocks for people and they stumble over the stumbling blocks and then it's easier for us to forgive them for stumbling when we realize we had a part in it. For instance, if you left your keys in the car with your car running down in a, a poor area of town and somebody stole your car, that would have been a stumbling block. It would be easier to forgive the teenager for stealing your car if you realize I shouldn't have provoked that kid, I shouldn't have left my car running in that area. Now, when I was a pastor, I'd give every couple that was going to get married a book by Willard Harley called His Needs, Her Needs. And it, every chapter starts out with a story of adultery where the one mate lays a stumbling block and the other one stumbles over it in adultery. One mate wouldn't meet their needs. For instance, if a wife had five dogs in the house <laughs> and uh, 
couldn't, uh, husband didn't like it or something. So, uh, or or the the man that spends all of his evenings out in the garage working on his motorcycle and doesn't spend any time with his wife. Pretty soon there's a stumbling block and the people stumble over it, go looking for love in all the wrong places and all the wrong faces. And so the marriages that got healed was when they both repented. One for stumbling, one for laying a stumbling stone. Now, you'll have to let the Holy Spirit coach you. Don't ever take any lip off the devil. Never take lip off the devil. So if he tells you that you were guilty, you laid a stumbling block, he says, shut up, you're not my coach. Check with the Holy Spirit. If he says, yes, honey, you did. But he just might say, no, honey, they were just being a jerk. You had nothing to do with that. They stumbled all by themselves. Amen? So you let the Holy Spirit apply that. But uh, Paul warns us. He says, uh, quit judging one another. Instead, Try real hard not to lay stumbling stones for each other. All right, now we're just about near the end, and I guess somehow on this seat there's a there's another picture, but we'll uh, let's just go ahead and we'll just leave that picture up there. How do you forgive God? How do you forgive God? So we have a picture in the book of a checker player. God plays checkers with the devil, and the checker doesn't understand what the master is doing. See, a, a master checker player will, will move a checker out on purpose to get it jumped. And the little checker gets jumped, and the master checker player is controlling the board that way, and he's, he's setting up the enemy to double jump him and open up the king row, but the little checker doesn't understand any of that. He just gets jumped and removed, so he goes, ah, why did my master do that? He moved me right into harm's way. He knew I was going to get jumped by the enemy. My master must not care. But the master double jumps the enemy, and he says, king me. And then the little checker goes, ah, now I understand. <laughs> he was working all things for my good. Now I have a brand new anointing, forward, backward, sideways, hallelujah, I'm a king. <laughs> See? Well, there's a lot of times in life God allows you to get jumped and removed from the board. And you'd say, do you have to forgive God? You can't forgive God. He doesn't do anything wrong. So, of course, there's no for- you can't forgive God. You have to understand that he thinks bigger than you think. And he thinks long term. So Mary and Martha, for instance, were just broken hearted. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. They sent him notice. He stayed away on purpose. Let Lazarus die. Let him be dead four days. Why? Because he wanted to do something bigger and better. He wanted to raise him from the dead. So hundreds of people would believe. So the Pharisees would crucify him so he could redeem the world. That's a lot bigger than heal my brother. I had a crushed spirit. When you feel that God has failed you, your spirit becomes crushed. You no longer want to pray. You believe in prayer, but you want to have everybody else pray. You don't want to pray. The Lord showed me that Jacob had prayed over Joseph and said, Lord, bring my boy home safe tonight. It doesn't say so in the Bible. The Lord just showed me that he prayed. He said, bring my boy home safe. Instead, the brothers threw him in a pit, ripped his robe of many colors into pieces, dipped it in goat blood, and the, Jacob thought a lion had devoured his son. And he was so brokenhearted that God didn't answer his prayer. He would, nobody could comfort him. He said, I'll go down mourning for my son till the day I die. So 17 years, he was a whiny old man. He wasn't a man of faith for 17 years till they came back from Egypt and said, Joseph is alive. He's Lord of Egypt. And when Jacob saw all the proof of the loaded carts and the fancy horses and the silver harnesses, he, the Bible says these important words. Then the heart of their father Jacob revived. Then... Israel spoke. (laughs) He became a man of faith again with his wrestle with the angel uh, name, Israel, because he realized God 
only failed to do what I expected. He did not fail. So God sometimes fails to do what you expect, but he jumps over it to do something bigger, something better, something long-term, and we don't always understand. So what you have to do then is just trust. Okay, God, I realize that you failed to do what I expected, but you are faithful and true and kind. Let's begin to worship God right now. You're faithful, you're true, you're kind, you think long-term, you're working all things together for my good. I'm in an everlasting covenant with you, according to Jeremiah 32:40, where you will never stop doing good to me. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I'm going to do my best to pray the best prayer that I can think of. But if it's not big enough and you want to do something exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or can imagine, according to your great power at work within us, then I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Now, while you're worshiping God, I'm going to pray that God heals crushed spirits. These are great deep disappointments and you can go on and nobody can know that you have a crushed spirit. You can even be in the ministry but deep in your heart you'll feel like I don't understand that one. Sure feels like God didn't care. Feels like God utterly forsook me and failed me. Lift your hand up as high as you can lift it if you want to get healed from a crushed spirit. Hallelujah to Jesus. Tip your face up towards the Father. I'm going to pray because you see God only failed to do what you were expecting. He didn't fail. He has something in mind bigger, something better. And Jacob didn't find out about it till 17 years later. But there's a song, farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. I don't know. I can't remember all the rest of the words. <laughs> we'll understand it all by and by. All right, let's pray. You lift your hand up now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you heal sick bodies. We know that you heal minds, but you also heal crushed spirits. And we ask you to heal the crushed spirits today and put a new trust back into their hearts and just a whole new comfort to where they want to pray the very best things they can think of but they relax a little bit and give you some room to do something exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. Now, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, heal the hearts. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, folks, that's the end of my sermon, but here's something that I am more convinced of than ever. We need to give God opportunities to display his power. He's worthy of power. And when people ascribe things to him, they'll say you're worthy of praise and honor and glory and power. If they say one thing, two things, three things, up to seven things, I've got scriptures to four, five, six, seven. Power is the only one that's never left out. And we want uh, always church services where God's power is manifested. Amen? And so, I don't know, I just know that... Uh, if you come up to me and I'm at a book table and you want some kind of healing or I can pray with you some, we're just family. We're going to be here together this whole week. But uh, let's give God opportunities to confirm his word and, and have a demonstration of power. Thank you, Jesus. Now remember, uh, if you did forgive something and you feel like you really got free, that makes it a lot easier to get other answers to prayer. That's a huge hindrance. Once that gets out of the way, amen?
So I believe you're right, ripe for all kinds of good things. I'm going to give it to uh, Pastor Lonnie, and, uh, but my heart wants to see God glorified with power. Let me just pray a closing blessing. Let's just lift our hands up to heaven. Father, we want you to be glorified in our lives. We want a Christ-like character. We want to believe you. We want to see you glorified in all kinds of ways. And so we'd like to uh, pray that your Holy Spirit will orchestrate that so that we're cooperating with you and there can be a a demonstration of your power to uh, heal relationships and heal bodies and heal minds and and deliver us from all oppression and just every good thing that you want to do. Hallelujah. We want to cooperate. We want to give you the opportunity. We want to believe. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Yes.